Good morning. Thank you so much for the beautiful piece. Um, that is one thing that I have really enjoyed here at Spencerville, listening to the music. I feel like every Sabbath there is a concert. I grew up in the Czech Republic, and the Czech Republic, just the word for culture, means concerts and plays and just going to see an opera. That's what that word really means. And so when I heard the word culture, that's what I thought everybody always referred to here in the U.S. as well. And so that's what we do. We Europeans are used to doing that, and every time I go back to visit Prague, that's where I go. I go to a play, or I go to an opera, or I go to a concert. And so I've, so thank you for giving me a concert every Sabbath. I also want to thank you for being such a welcoming church. It has been an amazing three months. We've been here almost three months, and just the friendly people and all the encouragement that I get has been amazing. Just last night, I got a card in the, in the mail from a church member just in, to encourage me in my ministry. It's just beautiful. So thank you for being who you are and for making us feel like we already belong, even though we've been here only three months. Let's pray together, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father God, we thank you for being here today. I pray for your Holy Spirit to take over and let these words be yours and not mine. Amen. So I want you to imagine a number line in your head going from zero to 10, with numbers in between. And I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to place yourself on that number line based on the answer you have. Okay, are you, does that make sense? You ready for the question? Okay, the question is, how much do you love the Bible? Go ahead and put it wherever you want. No one else is going to know. I grew up in a family that valued the Bible very highly. My dad is an Old Testament scholar who was a pastor for most of his life, a professor at the seminary, now is the dean of the seminary. And every single time he would open up the Bible, it was just like this light bulb went, away, went off on his face. And you could see that he just loved it. He was enjoying every little bit of it. But it wasn't just my dad, it was my mom as well. She spent a lot of time in the Word of God. And even to this day, if there is an open Bible in the living room at our house, it belongs to my mom. And if there's an open Bible in the kitchen table, it belongs to my dad. But I have to tell you that in my own personal life, I have been kind of all over the spectrum on this number line, maybe starting at about three. I was never at the point where I never didn't care about the Bible because of the fact that I had the Bible around me and people valued it so much around me. But this is how I see this number line, okay? I would see at zero or at one someone who doesn't read the Bible and doesn't care about the Bible. At three, I would see someone who says, okay, the Bible, the Bible is important, um, but they only open it on the Sabbath. Around five, I would see someone who opens it on the Sabbath, and then also once in a while during the week. But if there are other things around that are more interesting to read, well, then they're going to get one of those. By the time you get to about eight or nine, that's a person who reads the Bible every day, but sometimes life gets in the way because it's busy. But at 10, at 10 I see someone who is passionate about the Bible, who cannot wait to read it again the next day and is sad because they have to stop reading it for that day. Now I'm willing to bet 
that there's no one here who would say, oh, I don't want to be at a 10. I'm fine with being at a less. No. All of us who are committed Christians and we love God, we would say, yes, I want to be at a 10. I know I do. Well, I have good news for you. There is someone we're going to talk about who was at a 10, and I believe consistently. And that was, since Rachel has already read about him, Ezra. And wouldn't you know that Ezra also, he didn't just do it by himself. He also left us a key in one of the words and how it is that we could do it ourselves. So that we also in our lives can be at a 10 and stay at a 10. And not keep moving around on this number line, but be at 10. And so I want you to turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. We'll talk about Ezra and we'll just kind of introduce him first, which is what the chapter does, and then we'll get to the key. So chapter 7, Ezra chapter 7, we'll start with verse 1. Now after these things, it says, after what things? After what happens in chapters 1 through 6, and there is a 60-year gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7. For chapters 1 through 6, describe the life of Zerubbabel and Joshua and all the reforms they did in Jerusalem. That was the first group that took the exiles back from Babylon to Judah. And now it is time for Ezra to take another group of exiles to Judah. It says, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Did you like that? There were 16 names. The, the truth is, this is what I tell the youth all the time, it doesn't matter how you pronounce things, as long as you sound confident, 99% of people have no idea how to pronounce it either. Right? True. So, 16 names. What are these 16 names? Every single one of them, except for Ezra, is a high priest. Why are they right at the beginning of this chapter? Because Ezra wants everyone to know that he is a priest. And that he has this mission from the king, but above all, he is qualified for this mission, and he has the credentials for it because he is a priest called by God. And then it goes on, verse 6, says, This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. He was a skilled scribe, it says. He was a mahir scribe. Scribe, usually when we think of a scribe today, we think of someone who just has a manuscript in front of them and one next to it, and they are copying word for word exactly what was in the first one. But by the time of the second temple period, which is where we're at right now, the scribe had a much bigger role. The scribe was a teacher because they became experts in their roles and what is that they knew. So if a scribe was a scribe for the laws of Persia, they would be experts in the laws of Persia, and they, would, they could teach that. If they were a scribe of the history of Persia, they would teach about the history of Persia. And so scholars believe that over here where it says that he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, it is actually saying that he was a reporter or an ambassador of Jewish affairs in the kingdom of Persia. 
So he had, this was his official title. But he is called a Mahir scribe, as I already said. And what does that mean? That term was only used for the best of the best of the scribes, the ones who went through the best schooling in Persia. And by the way, Ezra studied in the same schools as Daniel did. It's just now Persia, but it's still in Babylon. So he had the same education. He was brilliant. And he was an expert on the law of God. But it doesn't just refer to the law of God. It refers to the Torah, which means the teachings of God. So Ezra is introduced as a priest and as a scribe, or, or in other words, as a teaching priest. And that's perhaps why I really identify with Ezra, because growing up, people had always told me, oh, you would make a great teacher because you explain things really well. And mostly because people aren't used to women being pastors in our church. And so I never got told, oh, you should be a pastor. I was always told you should be a teacher. And my dad was the one who always said, no, you need to be a minister. This is what you, God has called you to do. And I would say, but dad, you're the only one who tells me that. So obviously it's not true. And plus, I would just tell him, well, you, you want at least one of your five kids to be a preacher just like you. It took me years to figure out that that is what God actually had for me and that he wanted me to be in ministry and that God is the one who needs to be in control in my life and not what other people say. So Ezra is a teaching priest. But the verse keeps going. It says, The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. The text makes sure to tell us that, yes, the king is sending him on this mission, but above all, it is God who has moved with his Holy Spirit on the king to make this command to actually have the group go. That it is not something that the king just comes up with on his own. And then verses 7 through 9, which is what Rachel has read, is a group of people who actually describes a group of people who go with Ezra to, to Judah. And then it says how long this journey took. I'm not going to go into this journey and what happened on this journey because it was four months long because we will talk about that next Sabbath. But I want to go to verse 10, which is where the key that I told you about is hidden. So the verse says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. My husband says that every time he listens to a preacher long enough, there is, he always knows their MO, what it is that they always do during every sermon. And he says that mine is to always say something in Hebrew or teach some Hebrew words. So since I can't suddenly be different, right, I'm going to teach you a word in Hebrew, just one. The word is kun. And just kind of think of a raccoon, okay, kun, that same word, kun. Okay, go ahead and say it. Kun, okay. So I'm going to put it in the verse, and, I'll tell you what, and then I'll tell you what it means. For Ezra had kuned, I'm going to Americanize it a little bit, his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Now, what does kun mean? It means 
to set firmly, to establish something in a place so that it stays there and it is unmovable. So it's like taking something, setting it there, grounding it so that it just stays there. Now Ezra grounds something. What is that? It says it's heart. Now in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew thinking, the heart represented everything in the human being, the emotions as well as the intellectual. So if someone was said of that they are of a wise heart, that meant that they were bright, brilliant. And if they were, it was said of them that they had no heart, that meant they weren't very smart. Okay, so it was both, emotions and intellectual. And so what Ezra is doing here is he is grounding his whole being in three things. Studying the word of God is number one. It says to seek the law of God, literally, it says to seek the word of God. The other times in the Bible, whenever it's talking about seeking, it's most of the time talking about seeking God. This is the only time in the Bible where it says seeking the word of God, that someone sought the word of God. But it shouldn't be surprising to us because seeking the word of God really is synonymous to seeking God. There's an old rabbinic saying that says that learning, they're referring to studying the Bible, is more important than prayer, because when you pray, you are talking to God, but when you learn, study the Bible, God is talking to you. And so Ezra chooses to ground himself in the study of scripture. But then he also applies it to his life, and he teaches it. In all three, he becomes grounded. Now, how does a person do that? How do you make sure that it becomes just part of you? Does it happen if I do it once a month? No. Does it happen if I do it once a week? No. It only happens if I do it daily, if it becomes my habit every single day. And you could say right now, well, okay, but I am not a priest or a scribe, so how would that work for me? Let me give you an example. It is an illustration that I adapted from the book The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. So if you've read that book, it will sound, sound familiar. There are two guys, I want you to imagine. One is Brad and one is Ted. Brad and Ted grow up together, they go to college together, they graduate college, at the end of their college years, they both get married as well, and they are Christians. So on Sabbaths, they sometimes meet together and eat together potlucks. At the end of their college years, there's a professor who gives them both a book and says, you read this, and if you apply what it says, you'll be successful in your life. And the book pretty much says, if you make sure that you create habits Every single day that you set up, you will, have, you will be successful. And so they both say, okay, we're going to do this. Now Ted goes home and he says, all right, let me set up a plan. So he just writes it all out, and this is what he does. Every single morning he gets up and he spends time with God for the first half an hour at least or more. Then he goes and works out, and then he goes to work. When he comes back in the afternoon, he makes sure that for at least another half an hour to an hour every day, he is doing something educational. He's learning, listening to podcasts, or reading, or reading scripture. 
Now, now Brad also said, okay, I want to do this as well. But he wakes up late in the morning, and so he barely makes it to work. And so he thinks, okay, well, I'll do it after work. He comes home, and he sits down and says, well, but let me first relax, turn on the TV, and then I'll do it. And then suddenly it's four hours later, and oh, no, it's time to go to bed. And so he goes to bed. And then the next day he's thinking, I'll do it tomorrow. But then the tomorrow never comes. And he has built habits, but they are completely different from Ted's. Now, if those two guys, after a year, come to a potluck and you see them there, would you be able to tell the difference between the two? No, you really wouldn't. They still look the same. They both have successful jobs. Unless you really just scrutinize their lives, you would not know they're any different. And then, a year after, they both start having kids. By the, time, by the time five years rolls around, they both have three kids. Now, Ted, because kids have come into his life, he just has scheduled a little bit, but he's still making sure that he does this every day, and he's also spending time with his kids. Brad doesn't really want to give up his time watching TV. And so he says to his wife, oh, just take the kids somewhere else. They're too loud. After five years, you see them again at a potluck. Would you be able to tell the difference between the two men now? A little bit more, right? Number one, Brad starts telling his wife, well, I don't really want to go to church. I have something else that I would rather do. Why don't you take the kids by yourself? And number two, every time they do see each other, this couple is complaining to this couple about their spouse. Ten years goes by. Fifteen years goes by. If 15 years go by, do you think, and they're still living the same way, how big the difference between the two will be? Major, right? It'll be a huge difference. At first, it's slow, but eventually, it grows and it blows up, and the difference is really big. I want to read you a quote from Darren Hardy from his book. He says, you will never change your life until you change something daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily routine. And Ezra understood this, that it had to be a daily routine in order for his life to go where he wanted it to go, in order for him to make a difference around him and for him to be changed. Brad, after 15 years, has lost his wife, has no relationship with his kids, has addictions that are his habits, and for everything that's going on in his life, he's depressed, and his boss is on his case all the time. Who do you think he's blaming for everything that's happened in his life? God. God, why did you let me marry that woman in the first place? And didn't you know what was going to happen? And um, this job, God, this boss, why do I have to work for a boss like this? God, really, are you really there? Are you really real? Where is Ted? How is Ted living? Ted hasn't had it easy. Nobody does. But he had developed the habit that every single time something happened in his life, he would go to God. 
He was a good husband, good father. Had a great job. Not only did he have a great job, he's getting promoted all the time because he's doing so well, because he's been learning his whole life. The habits that we develop either lead us this way or this way. And so Ezra said, I am going to study the Bible every single day so that my habits will be in the Word of God. I want to go back to Ezra because if it is true that Ezra has been living this way, it, would, it should show in his life, right? It should show somewhere, and people should notice that he has been living this way for God. So I want you to notice a couple of verses. Let's go to Ezra, chapter 7, verse 14, and it is at the end of that verse, but we'll read that whole verse. It says, And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. This is the king, Artaxerxes, talking about Ezra. How does he describe him? As a man who in his hand has the law of his God. Okay? So did the king notice? The king noticed that he's about God. Now let's look at another verse. Verse 25. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, but most English translations mis mistranslate because they miss a word in there. So let me read it to you the way the Hebrew says it. It says, And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand. So in the one, he describes him as a man who's holding the Torah, the scriptures, in his hand and the law. And in the other, he says, in your hand you hold wisdom, but not just any wisdom, because he was an incredibly smart man. But he doesn't say, oh, you're just wise. No, he says the wisdom of your God. Because the king could tell that there was something different about him, that his wisdom truly came from God. When I do Bible studies with the youth, um, we do them on, on Sabbath afternoons, and every other Sabbath, even though we haven't had it now, because of the 75th anniversary. But I tell them that the one main thing to look for, if you're studying the Bible, it's a tool, is that you have to look for repetitions. Because there's no such thing as an author just writing down something because they wanted to or because they just didn't know grammar. They, every single repetition that may seem like it's crazy to us, it is there for a reason. And so in this chapter, there are certain things that you should have already noticed are repeated, and especially one word. And that is the word hand. So let me show you all the verses where it says that. The end of verse 6, it says, According to the hand of the Lord has God upon him. So this is talking about God, God's hand on Ezra. Then at the end of verse 9, it says the same thing. According to the good hand of his God upon him. The hand of God on Ezra. And then two times, the king describes Ezra as a man who is holding something in his hand, figuratively. And then at the end of the chapter, last verse, it says, So I, Ezra, was encouraged 
as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. Now, if I were to draw a picture of this chapter, of what this chapter is about, I would draw a man with his hands outstretched holding the Bible. But then I would also draw two hands right on top of him, the hands of God. Because to me, this chapter says, there is nothing better to hold in my hands than the Word of God, and there is no better place to be than in the hands of God. This world needs men and women who are willing to do like Ezra, to grab onto the Word of God and to not let go of it. We need mechanics and doctors and dentists and musicians and business managers, whatever it is that God has called you to do, to grab onto the Word of God, to become unmovable in it, so that people of this world can see that there is someone who is passionate, who is in love with God, and who will be attracted to us because that is how we are. So my last question for you today is, will you be one of those people? Will you grab on to the Word of God and not let go? but make a difference in the world.